You can see my award-winning climate comedy show spoilers at a festival near you, provided you live near or are going to McHuncliffe or Wells Comedy Festivals. More dates added soon near you, conceivably, who knows what might happen. And if you are at Mac, come and see ComCom Redacted live at 4pm on the Saturday. Go to stuartgoldsmith.com and click the very attractive banner image to find out more. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. This is a podcast from ComediansComedian.com. This is the Comedian's Comedian Podcast. Hello, I'm Stuart Goldsmith. Welcome to the show. Today, uh, it's another Edinburgh podcast recorded live at the Gilded Balloon. uh, And this is with Mr. Al Murray. Yes, you're all safe. Yeah, (laughs) it's on this one time only. What's your name? No, don't ask him, don't ask him. Sounds great. Brilliant. Okay. <laughs> there we go. So, Al, thank you for, for coming on the show. How yeah. are you finding Edinburgh? You've only just arrived. You've well, sort I of got been here for a, a week. Th- Thursday night and did a, a show on Friday and a show on Saturday and a late show on Saturday night and a spot last night and that's it because um, I, 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 I'm, each time I come back here now, I, it makes me feel increasingly old and uh, uh, irrelevant and uh, things like that, which is, which is, which is, which is good. Okay. I should be old and irrelevant now at sure. this stage of my career to the Edinburgh Fringe. So it's really nice to come, have fun, not worry about whether I'm reviewed uh, kindly or not. Sure. Not worry about whether people come or not or any of that and just have fun with it. Just come here, do some shows, yeah. stay up late. See a lot of old faces, you know, see a lot yeah. of people I haven't seen in ages. Because uh, one of the things about when you break out of the circuit and you start doing stuff on your own in theatres, which I've been doing really for sort of since about 99, mm. um, is you don't see anyone anymore. And what sure. I used to love about the comedy circuit was the sort of revolving social life you got where you'd, you'd see a lot of people. You never had to a, a, arrange to meet anyone, mm. but you had this big body of friends you'd always see. And then once you break out, you, that all stops and it becomes the loneliest job in the world. Excellent. Uh, we've started, uh, we've gone yeah. bleak early and that's good. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, I don't buy any of that, don't worry. Um, <laughs> I don't want to kill myself either. I'm not one of those, you know, we're all supposed to be lonely and want to kill ourselves comedians and Nah, it's bollocks. I would say on the interviews I've done so far, it's roughly 60-40. All right, so okay. we'll say- <laughs> Am I the 60 or the 40? Yeah, well, we'll, we'll find out. We'll find out. Um, and by way of, I mean, it'd be good to sort of place you in the context. I'm sure you've spoken on interviews yeah. before about how you started. But um, an unusual one is I noticed you're wearing the badge from uh, Ben Moore's show. Yeah, each uh, of us. Ben yeah. Moore will be known to some of you, comedy uh, kind of comedy specialist or enthusiast, I guess. Ben yeah. doesn't have a huge public profile, but he's a brilliant comedian and t- tells very beautiful and funny, heartfelt and imaginative stories. You were saying you were in a double act with him at one Yeah, point. I was in a double act with him when, when I, I met him at Oxford at uni, when I, went, when I went to uni. I met him in the sort of second week I was there, which is actually where, where it all got started. Um, and his room was on the other side of the high street from mine at a different college. And uh, uh, we, just, we just hit it off and cre- this, got this double act going, which was very peculiar because we, our instincts are 
are extremely different. Sure. But that was in that in itself created a lot of sort of uh, interesting creative um, opportunities. Tensions the wrong word, but opportunities that you know you, okay. you're going to bounce off each other if you think differently. Sure. You know you won't if you think the same. And when you say a double act, do you mean you were doing were you doing sketches at the time or characters? What we sort used of to work call it because we, we, we were uh, uh, twenty years old and full of ourselves. We used to call the things we did vignettes. <laughs> Jesus, week two of Oxford. Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah, right. yeah. Or nineteen, I was nineteen. But we had we had a we had a suitcase full of props and would do this very fast moving thing with just endless gags really okay. and then extended sketch bits and then other gags and just sort of I mean odds and sods to be honest really and. Uh, and that was lots of fun. And then, we'd, and then it became evident that we were going to head in different directions, mm -hmm. so we did. Okay. And when you say that was where it all started, yeah. had you had any uh, aspirations towards comedy or performance before you I went to I mean, I still don't know if I want to be a stand-up comedian. Um, in all seriousness, I never imagined that this is what I'd be doing. I'm 45 now. I never for a minute imagined that this is what I'd end up doing. I never imagined uh, that you could do it. You'd, uh, when I was a kid, you'd see Billy Connolly sometimes on the telly you'd see kelly monteith you'd see jasper carrot you might see jim davison you people like that that's what stand-up comedy appeared to be mm -hmm. and and then and then ben elton later and 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 the alternative uh, set and I, I just it didn't occur to me that that would be something i could do that you could you know uh, you, you, they're on the telly there's this how, how do i get from there to there well i beats me and mm. i was f entirely expecting um to uh, do a degree and then end up teaching history at a minor English public school where I wouldn't need a qualification. Okay. Uh, for a path of least resistance sure. and uh, holidays. Okay. Because I'm instinctively a very lazy person, which, well, is why, which is why I work so hard, because if I gave in to who I really am, sure. um, we would, this wouldn't be happening. This is... Uh... <laughs> well, this, this presents an interesting question, because as comedians go, you're an incredibly hard-working comedian. You yeah. produce an enormous volume of material. Yeah. You constantly turn over new material. Yeah. And, and I'm fairly sure I have no psychological qualifications whatsoever, but isn't I've got to work myself really hard because I'm so lazy? Isn't that what workaholics say? No, that's what um, people who know for sure that they're really lazy say. <laughs> I mean, I, I, um, if you offered me the choice of writing another touring show or looking out the window for six weeks, I'd look out the window. So why have you made so much stuff, if that's true? <laughs> um, because I do love... Uh, I mean, I'm being... I'm, being I'm, I'm slightly exaggerating for effect, but um, I love performing. I, and the reason I love performing is I love audiences. I love how audiences... Uh, uh, react to things they're interesting things to 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 involve yourself with and uh but if i go on stage bored we're done it won't work and mm. that's that's how the acts ended up like it is with i write a new two-hour show every other year pretty much um uh um and the improvising comes out of me wanting it to not be boring and also, obviously, it fits the character that he would come out and go, well, what you, you know, that's what he'd do. Because the sort of conception of it, or when I, once I'd started doing it, I thought, well, what, what's actually going on here? And the idea, the, sort of what I wanted it to be is it's raining. You go into a pub to get out of the rain. And you go up and you say, you don't know the name of the pub. You don't know the publican. And the bloke starts on you before you've eaten or even ordered a drink because he's bored. Sure. You know, and that, that, was the, that was sort of the idea for the, the mindset to, 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 okay. or, the, or the impetus for the character. Was, and was that the, the, the starting point before you created the character or is that a way of thinking about it that's, that's grown a way out of thinking of... It. That's a way of thinking out of it but grew out of it quite quickly because I, mean, I arrived at the character by accident because I was doing 
another thing is sta- this uh, uh, machine guns thing and a thing about serial killing like really black humor that you do that you feel you can do when you're when you're 23 you, you know sure. you want to do loads of jokes about dismembering people because oh it's hilarious and then it's vignette fodder uh, and vignette, exactly yeah. uh, and, and then I, I sort of grew out of that and got I got fed up with it and then I was I was we were doing a thing in um uh, I, I, Harry Hill's a friend of mine and I met him through writing on Weekending um, in, in the very early 90s um, which used to have an open door policy okay. so, yeah, so you could go the BBC used to run it was amazing really what they did I mean the show was generally um, uh, I mean the joke was it was a week you know all the jokes had week endings but the, the, <laughs> you know ha 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 when you're writing on it yeah thanks for yeah. fucking punch <laughs> but, the, but, but the, the the idea was on a Wednesday I think at 11 o'clock on a Wednesday morning they had a complete open house non-commissioned writers meeting and you could come in off the street and pitch to the producer and, okay. uh, and so there'd be this room jammed with people with these great big electric typewriters and some of them who, some of them who bore close, you know, you'd think, well, you've come in off the street because there's coffee here, isn't there? Sure. You know, because it's warm. And, uh, and there'd be a room full of these people pitching stories about um, uh, Boris Yeltsin mainly. And uh, I met Harry doing that and um, we just hit it off straight away because he, he'd arrived with his... With his, with his head together, what he wanted to do, his mm. vision, and we were, it was the and this dates it. It was the leaves on the line story about um, okay British Rail leaves on the line, and sure. I always used to get very angry about the British Rail stories because my dad worked for British Rail, and I always go, oh, knock it off, you know, they're doing their best with no investment, and, which isn't really great comedy, and. Um, <laughs> And he did a thing about a giant conker that had rolled in front of a tunnel and stopped a train. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, certainly. And I thought, right, well, this fella's different. He's interesting. Um, uh, and we, we hit it off. So we came to Edinburgh, shared a flat, and I did bits in one of his shows. And, and his mate, Matt, the little guy who played his little son, Alan, in the TV programme, if you're familiar with that, who's this five-foot-tall doctor, he plays keyboards. And I took my drum set up with me. And in our flat, we were jamming and having real fun with it, messing about. And I said, well, let's play uh, an equivalent of Late and Live, not the actual Late and Live now. Let's play a gig there. Um, and they were like, oh, are you sure? And we did it, and it completely blew the roof off the place. So we decided the next year to come back and do that in a show. And, and, uh, go on. I was going to say, what, what was it about it that blew the roof off the place? I don't know. It was ludicrous. And, and, okay. And just Harry, Harry um, we're, again, him with an audience, he's, he's just, he, he's got this sort of, he's, I love comics with real charisma and he's got this thing where it's like lights coming out of him, you know, because he's enjoying it so much and inhabiting it so much. And I don't know, we we played a mad version of Delilah and the place went apeshit. So we thought, well, this is is worth pursuing. So the next year we brought a show up, which was him doing 40 minutes of stand-up, uh, us doing the band at the end, a film, because uh, the show was called Pub International and the band was called The Pub Band, a film about when will there be a harvester for the world, a sort of um, <laughs> I- I- inspirational movie. And then I did, and I'd been working on another character that didn't work, a sort of old vaudevillian guy, because one, one of the things I think comics often do when they're trying to figure out how to write comedy is write comedy about comedy. Sure. Because they've got to thrash out where the edges are for them. Yes, okay. And so I was doing that, and I got it, and it didn't work. No one, no one really finds comedy about comedy funny, apart from other comedians and maybe critics, in my view. Audiences mm. are perhaps there to hear some jokes or something. I don't know. It's kind, sure. of, kind of my feeling on it. And... Um, so anyway, we get to Edinburgh and I didn't, sorry, I didn't have a way of linking this show, of comparing the show together. And we're, and we're like sat here like this around a table in the dressing room in the cabaret bar. And I said, well, how about we say that the compare's not shown up and the bar manager here in the cabaret bar is going to fill in? 
Okay. And he went, yeah, whatever, because he was reading his set list. So I put on a jacket, and, and I hadn't cut my hair at this point, and, and went on and went, cool, well, you know, what a show we've got for you tonight. Okay. Uh, like that. And it worked. So you, you come at this with no strategy whatsoever. This Zero. Complete... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> in complete, Winning. In complete contrast to the way a lot of people approach comedy now as a career path. And yeah, sort oh, of God, an established no. Thing. Oh, I don't like all that. I mean, I'm, I very much believe in being a comic as an end in itself. That um, I, I want to be as good a comedian as I can possibly be. And that's it. That's all I'm interested in, really. And doing it for its own sake... And, 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 and fortunately for me, it's, work, it's kind of worked out in a kind of, you know, big audiences and I've made a fair bit of money that um, a divorce lawyer then extracted from me. And uh, uh, that's a good feeling. And, uh, uh, um, and all that sort of stuff. So I kind of, um, uh, I didn't have a strategy, no, okay. at all. Okay. So when you <laughs> started writing then, after you came out and you were presumably improvising as, yeah, the, yeah. as the, land, the bar landlord. Yeah, thing. yeah. And then Harry goes on and then I run back at, backstage and write three more things down, uh, run them through my head and go on and introduce the next okay. bit. And that's what we did. And then we, and then we finished the Edinburgh run and that got a Perrier nomination. And then, and then we went on the road and did about a 70 date tour. And of course we had to put, to, had to put an interval into it, mm -hmm. um, which, I mean, you've compared surely. The great thing about comparing is it gives you stage time, I always found. Sure. And you've got to... What's really good about comparing is you have to come on at the start, you have to mm -hmm. come at the middle, you have to open a second half, you have to close a show. So you, you learn all the, all the uh, grammar of being a headliner, of being a headliner without support, without having to do any of the... take any of those risks. Okay. And, and, and also you can pick and choose how long you want to do. It doesn't have to be structured like proper stand-ups. It's a really good... I found it was an incredibly useful way of uh, sort of assembling an act on the fly. Sure, okay. And by the end of the tour, I had an hour of material. Okay, and that was because you were doing a mix of improvising, working yeah. with the audience, yeah. and then... But mainly, I mean, I wasn't jokes. really into uh, duffing up the front at that point. I wasn't that... That wasn't the... Th okay. <laughs> For those of you listening, I just winked at a man at the front. <laughs> well, that's something I really I want to talk, I want to focus for a minute on, on the crowd work that you yeah. do, because that is one of the things in which you are absolutely exceptional. Thank I you. saw your show a couple of nights ago here, and you just came out and battered the front row for 20 minutes. Mm. And you did it in such a way, well, the front two rows, to be honest. Yeah. Um, and then that led into material, which we'll talk about in a bit, the yeah. way you structure that. But I, I found myself thinking, okay, do you have... Like, for a start, have you sit down? Have you sat down ever and written five jokes for every possible job anyone could tell you? At one point, when I've decided... Basically, I decided I was going to have to... One, well, the, where, the, where the front row stuff comes from, it comes from two places. Um, a lot of character comedy pieces in a cabaret environment, which is after where, where I've come from, can very quickly sort of gelatinise. They suffer from a fourth wall problem. That You come on, you go, oh, I'm the post office manager, and uh, oh, what a collection of stamps I've got. That, that, that's pretty funny, right? Or it could be. But the, but the problem is, if you, why would a post office manager be doing a set? Sure. And it's all right, I think, in a, in a sealed-off hour-long show where it's its, own in, it's its own world. But uh, always the issue when you're on a bill is that you're not in control of how you're perceived, of, the, of what else is going on, what other people have said, and all those things. So I thought, and, and it was about three, four years into doing the act, and it was all going very well, and I'd been up here and had two very, very, very good summers 
with, um, uh, you know, and been Perrier nominated a couple of times. It was going really, really flying and the kind of thing, the thing you dream of in Edinburgh. And I just thought there's still something more that I've got to do, which is involve the audience because it earths it. It sends the mm. character through. And David Mamet says that um, there's no such thing as character in terms of people um, thinking of when their birthday was and what their name of their cat it's was and what their middle name was. That isn't character. Character is what someone says to you um, and how that makes you react. Yep. And that's the that's the essence of character. None of the things. I mean, he's he's conf confrontational about this because he's got a real view about American method acting. But one of the things he says is character is character is how you how you are received. It's sure. not. It's not. Um, oh, my mum didn't give me the right Christmas no, present. No, it's when the I was decisions nine. you make. It's the yes, plot, decisions it? you make. It's the, it is the yeah. things you say. So, yeah. so I thought, well, what's the best way of conveying what the pub landlord's like without that eggy possible possible eggy five minutes where I, where you come on and you think, well, how am I going to get this moving? Mm -hmm. It's to come on and go. Well, you're drinking the wrong fucking drink, and, yeah. and we're away. We're, we know what he's. Sure. We know what he's like. We know. Uh, what you know that he's a, got an opinion he's on the front foot that he's wrong you know because no sure. one should be told what they should drink you know uh, uh, and, and, and you're away instantly and I, I found that that and, I, and then I sat down and really worked on it and I did write a long time ago I wrote a list of ten possible jobs to get in the front row and two returns not necessarily jokes but returns to those things and then I screwed it up and threw it away but I'd done the mental exercise okay, okay. and obviously what you do is you get you get some professions you get again and again and you have sure. instant things. Everyone does. But what you can't control is the combination. Yes, okay. And I like doing the combination and tying them all together. And you can't, you can't call what the combination's going to be. Maybe you get a policeman, so maybe you go, well, I'm not going to have a go tonight because you get called names all the time. There's no way I'm going to call you a piggy bastard, oink, 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 who ordered the bacon. You know, you, you, I'm not going to do that. Uh, you, you, that may happen again and again. Sure. But you're not going to be able to predict that next to him is a funeral director or a carpenter sure. or a or a IT guy you know you just don't know what you're going to get and then it's a case of doing the joke for that profession and then well, no, the no. between them well and and actually if you do the joke if you come on too set you make it harder for yourself and actually yes, the, okay. things do is let go and the thing i when i'm feeling very pretentious about the improvising get, hit it that's yeah, what you want to you hear. ask yeah. me to you ask me to make sure i got pretentious um is if you if you if you get it right it's like water um, uh, flowing into a rock and finding the crack and then bursting the rock open. Okay. If you get your mind to do it properly. And you cr the, the other weird thing is you start creating time for yourself to think. You say things you never even thought of saying. They just come out. And if you get it right, it's like... Um, uh, it, you enter... Um, and again, this sounds so wanky. You enter a sort of state of grace with it. And you, mm. you can just... Pick and choose your moment and... Uh, it's like the Matrix. Wait. Time slows down. Yeah, yeah, and you go, right, yeah. I've got to do that and then I've got to do that Completely. and something else presents itself. Completely, yeah. yeah. And, it, and, the, and, and people say, oh, how do you remember the names? And the truth is relentless practice. Okay. Um, I, don't, I haven't got a Darren Brown like memory house where okay. oh, I'll, put the, I'll put him up in the loft and his name's sure. Alan and then I'm going down to the basement with her and she's a nurse and her name's Janine. You know, it isn't time for that. No. Because um, at, at a party, I can't remember anyone's names. Okay. Okay. Rotten, rotten socially. So which, so which of those two, when you're describing the, that some you've written jokes for, and I have to ask this, which, which of those two, whether it's writing a joke in advance or whether yeah. it's improvising, is, the, is a specific joke you did where you said, what do you do? And someone said, I'm an actuary. And you said, really? Because that's one of the best jokes I think I've ever heard. And um, did that just come to you? That was, was that spontaneous. I know the genuinely. one you mean. That was on a DVD. That was spontaneous. But let me tell you this. I've, um, been that, I've said that spontaneously again since. <laughs> 
Okay. No, but that first, the, on okay. the video, that's the first time that ever happened, and I really? did say Riri. Yeah. Yeah. You know. <laughs> to me, that seems like the, the, ob- the obvious thing to say. Okay. But you, what you're saying is that you, that becomes obvious because you've done the, the planning and the yeah, rehearsal. and I've done Getting it, yourself I, in the state of it, mind. Not, not so much the planning, but just doing it every bloody night. If you do, I mean, this yeah. tour, when we finish this tour that we're doing now, which is extended and we're going to the Far East and stuff, I'll have, I've done the sh- this current show that you saw mm-hmm. the first half. You came on Friday. Yes. So you yep. saw the first half and I did the second half on Saturday night because gotcha. was a okay. way of cramming it all in. The, um, well, and that, done, that's a show that there's already a DVD of, is there not? Like, the yeah, yeah, it's, but, yeah uh, but fortunately, um, it's mutated so much in the 10 months since the DVD came out that you could happily come uh, come again okay, and it's gotcha. all changed. I've, I've, dropped, I've dropped a whole bit because um, I sort of got it the wrong way round and I thought, oh, I'm making too much, it's too difficult to get which, the idea Which bit over. was that? What, the um, Bar Bar Black Sheet bit on the DVD. Yeah, okay. Yeah, because that... that that was just confusing the life out of people, which, sure. which, I, which I actually, I love. I love confusion, ambivalence and ambiguity. I, I, like, audiences not know, I like audiences not knowing what to make of it. That, that's, for my money, that art is not supposed to make you definitely feel something. It's made, made to make you go, oh, what's that all about, maybe? I don't know. Possibly. Okay. So, you want, so you wanted to do, and just for people who didn't, yeah. haven't seen that DVD, the Bar Bar Black Sheep <laughs> bit was about reclaiming the nursery rhyme. Well, what it was about... Uh, well, the, 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 that's it's a, got a tangled. The, 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 how I arrived, the piece of material was this. I was I did a whole thing about what well, you can't say anything. Pub landlords, one of those people who would say you can't say anything anymore, can you? Sure. You know you can't even walk into a f- into a pub and say something that will definitely start a fight <laughs> without people being outraged, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, and, and that twisted logic of the people who want to be able to say actually appalling and unforgivable things, right? Sure. And of course, I, I really, really believe in free speech, but I also believe in not being an arsehole. So, but the pub landlord, to him, it's about his right to be an arsehole. So I, I wrote a whole thing about, and there's a bit where I say, I'm going to say the most taboo thing that a man of my generation can say, which is that Star Wars is shit, yeah. right? Which, which whole audiences go, <gasps> <laughs> <laughs> just, they can't cope with it. And, uh, and then I got into a thing about reclaiming the unsingable song, Bar Bar Black Sheep. Okay. Because it's been banned and it's never been banned. Sure. And it's, it, became a, it became a thing that people who, are into, who hate political correctness became hung up on. And none of the things they think about it are true. And so I get a whole audience to, uh, to sing Bar Bar Black Sheep. And it was in Brighton where that was filmed. And the, some friends of mine came to the first shows and go, God, we didn't know where to look. We are cringing at being made to do that. Oh, for Christ's sake. And, and, is, and, is that because you think that they, they don't know where you're coming from with that? Whether you're um, tricking them, whether I there's think, some I sort think, of payoff I think I just up. sowed so much confusion. And okay. I, I always do it as like, this is our last chance for common sense to take the country back. I always do that and then get them to sing a nursery rhyme. Sure. Uh, and, you know... <laughs> And really set them free as true uh, free people. You know, it's got b- ladles of irony and sarcasm on it, but sure. sometimes you can tip as much on as you like. <laughs> no, it doesn't work. Okay, <laughs> but 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 I've also I found the show got the sh- that show um, that DVD is about an hour and a half material that came down to an hour and five. And the show then when we went off off on the road after filming it, there's less pressure on the material, so it all relaxes a bit. And the show got mm. too long with that, so I took that bit off. Okay. So, so in the <laughs> lifetime of this show at the moment, yeah. this th- you were doing, sorry, just to get this clear, yeah. you, you did one night on the Friday and one night on the Saturday, which are two halves of a show yeah. that you're then touring from. Yeah, yeah, I'm, well, I've been currently, currently touring, but I haven't done it for about okay. a month. And uh, I also, I really worry, you know, that if there's some people who come, who really like me, they'll come to the Friday and the Saturday show and then they'll get the same thing twice and I don't want that to happen. Okay. 
Okay. So it, we'll talk a bit more about the writing the actual material in a minute, just yeah. to stay with the crowd work. Yeah. Do you, because you've got such a good reputation as being a, as, as the guy that can smash the, the thing to bits and just yeah. improvise and fly the rest of it, do you feel a sense of responsibility to your audience that that's part of, partly what oh, they're no, they've to come see? to see? A lot of them have come to see that and they want, they want to see blood. So um, uh, he, he, Steve Martin's book um, about have you read? You, of course, up. everyone's yeah. read it. In the every every stand up has read it and should have done. And if you if you want a, a real understanding of, of what it's like, that book is just it's amazing. And the, in the introduction, it's going on about how you know this is about my experience. It's got nothing to do with with anyone else. And you're reading, and go, yeah, that happened to me. <laughs> yeah. Yep, I know that moment and all that and how he gets his writing and his. His, his writing voice and his performing voice and finally they coincide and, mm. uh, and then it just goes woof like that for him. It's mm. brilliant. But he says about playing gigs when people know who you are, what you've got to do is uh, let, not grip so tightly that you're giving them the, your brilliant comedy that you've worked very hard at and that you're hosting a party and you've got to kind of give them what they want and, and make sure there's plenty of beer in the fridge and make it fun for them, you know, really give them kind of what they want, rather than come and go, well, you know, you may have seen that on television, but you're not bloody having it. I am far too clever for that. Sure, okay, yeah. okay. Sort of thing. And that, that uh, and funnily enough, I read that when I was doing an arena tour and went, God, bollocks, he's right. Because you, yeah, okay. fr- you can get very frustrated in enormous rooms because the distractions are all multiplied and there's people going to get hot dogs and stuff. Sure. On the, on the subject of enormous rooms, would you go and see comedy in a, in a no. you know, 14,000... No, and that's why I've stopped doing it, because I realised it okay. wouldn't be something I'd go and see. And one of, the, one, of the watchword, one of the things I've always tried to hang on to is in my show, I try and put on the, show, the kind of show I'd like to go and see, where there is some audience interaction, where there is a, a beginning, a middle and an end, where maybe there's some points lurking under some stuff, mm-hmm. there's some jokes... Uh, big jokes, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, I think they're very important things. Uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, um, well, no, I mean, I can't really stress that enough. And, and, and I mean, I saw Julian Clary here in 1988 and, and he was one of the first, when I was at uni, up here with a review and um, seeing him work an audience, I just sort of thought, God, that, that's just so brilliant. And he mm-hmm. makes it look effortless. And you think, well, I want a piece of that. That's what I want from stand-up rather than, because it's, we don't have a fourth wall if we don't want one. We're the only art form where actually a question asked of an audience member can directly influence and change how the gig goes. It makes yeah. it special and different. Jazz musicians improvise, but they do to the same chords. You know, they, it's not like the pianist will go, right, well, I'm going to play an F while you lot sure. jog, jog along in G. You can't do it. It, sure. it wouldn't okay. work. But in stand-up, you can actually, you can go off. You know, is, and, is that why you think that kind of embodies a, or that, that kind of starts a culture of the reason people think they're allowed to shout out and abuse you oh, no, in a way that they never would at the No, opera? that's newspapers. Um, that's journalists saying, what's the best heckle you've ever heard? Yeah. Well, I've never heard a good one. Um, stop asking me these fucking questions because people read it in the newspaper, think heckling exists. I think it's a thing, yeah, think absolutely. It's a, think yes. it's a thing, yeah. think it's something that's all part of the fun. Um, uh, uh, I think Patton Oswalt's written very well about, he- uh, he's written yes. an excellent thing about yeah. heckling, about how uh, the heckling, comedian versus heckler, the he- comedian taking down the heckler, turns into a thing where the show's no longer going on. You're no longer in a man's, in a comic's, world or vision you're not you're not playing together anymore you're doing a thing where the whole crowd's going like that yeah. and it's not part of the not part of the arrangement sure. it's not part of the, the sort of spinning plates and um uh yeah heckling I, I, I've, I've had more questions from journalists about what my best heckle is than i've had heckles yeah okay but, uh in truth sure 
or good heckles. And how do you, how do you square that with the fact that by going into the audience so much at the beginning well, of your show, do you feel like you're you're I'll encouraging? My, them I know I get my retaliation in early. <laughs> okay. you, you, you make you know uh, I, I I I I mean I think you're always better off as an audience member letting the comedian be in charge. Do the stuff they've written. <laughs> do the, yeah. Well, yeah, or the thing they've prepared, or that the, 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 they come into your world. And I see the, I mean, I very much see the, the, the front row stuff as me at, lowering the drawbridge, really, and letting mm. them in. Mm. How? Not, not going. I, I, I mean, I, it, I hope it's all perceived affectionately and it's just in, in the spirit of it. And we're playing together. Sure. And, and uh, good comedy, you're playing. You're all, we're all playing together. We're yeah. all, all in on a joke and we're all, you know, all those sort of nice cuddly things. And, and I should say, and I'm sure everyone here has seen it, but certainly for me looking with a, with a critical eye, you know, preparing for this interview to DVDs yeah. in your show, I was really struck by how much warmth there is and how much joy there is in the room at you kind of mincing people who are loving being minced. Yeah. It's not angry. People go, I don't want to sit down the front, I'll get picked on. People kind of do at your shows because they, yeah, they there's, do, there's yeah. such a warmth. But I don't like even like to call it picked on, I call it involved. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, well, absolutely. But that's what they say. That's always what you'll hear from yeah. audience members going, oh, I don't, I don't want to get picked on. Yeah. Whereas to us, to uh, yeah, us as yeah, comedians, yeah. it's, no, no, I'm, I'm talking to you. I mean, you'll know yeah. if you're being picked on. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'll save the picking on for a heckler. Exactly. Sure. Yeah. Okay. So, <laughs> is that is that warmth? Is that something that you particularly pursue? Because there is a real sense of, and I, I you know, I can't think of another way to say it without being unbelievably pretentious. But it's kind Go. of this Go sense of this sense of the human condition. There's just something really earthy and real about the fact that it's like you're being open about the fact that we're all just a bunch of people in a room together. There's nothing magic going on here. But because we explain that, it is magic. Yeah. <laughs> I think so. I mean, I, I'm, I've always tried to make sure the character's sort of, uh, that it is a, a kind of warm thing. And he's, you know, um, it, it is about, we're play, uh, it, the playing is, I, I, when, when we did my talk show uh, four or five years ago, Dawn French came on it. And we were very pleased. She was the first comedian we'd had on the show. And up to that point, I'd been, been brassing up soap actors and pop stars and models and various people. And she came on it. And we were very nervous about how it was all going to go. And then, and then we discovered she was very nervous about how it was going to go. And what we did on that show is we didn't... Um, normally on a talk show, what happens is the researcher does a research chat. They thrash out what the interview is going to consist of. And then you film the interview, right? And the interviewer asks you the questions you're expecting to be asked. Mm -hmm. We would do a research chat and then I would ask the questions I was going to ask, the pub mm -hmm. was going to ask. And, and so that it really was an ambush, the whole thing, right? Yeah. And, then we, and then a comedian comes along. Think, well, can we do that? Can, is that, can, can you respect that? And, the, and, and, and Dawn just said, look, we're going to play, aren't we? That's all we're going to do. And you think, oh, yeah, of course we are. You know? And to hear, it, to hear it called that, and I've been doing it a long time, 15 years, been doing the character a long time, or I've been doing him 20 years next year. I've been doing him about 15 years at that point. And to actually hear someone just out and out call it that, that we're playing. Hmm. Um, comedy's a safe, and, uh, a safe and sacred place, you know, where an audience gather together to, and we all come together to play. And, uh, uh, and that's why you can say things that you shouldn't say in other places too, you know, because it's a sacred trusting place and and the heckling is a breaking of heckling's a breaking of that trust sure uh, uh but it's yeah play is the play and play is warmth and fun you know that's that's why i think there's warmth in it i don't know that's a good question i haven't ever really given any thought to before okay so when you're <laughs> when you when there's a when there becomes a back and forth between you and the audience yeah like one of the things in the in the dvd was the bit with the tent when yes. you're talking about one of the, uh, the ineffable mysteries yeah 
how do you get a, a pop-up pop up tent back, back in, in the bag. thing? Yeah. So you've got a lady on stage to help you mm. try and get it back yeah. in its bag. And it, there's someone shouted, on the DVD at least, someone yeah. shouted, get her in the tent. Yeah, that's right. And it was a bit weird. It yeah. was a bit blokey and a bit like, oh. Yeah. Well, no, because the whole point is I'm not going to get her in the tent. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, and also... But there are kind of jokes about that. There are jokes about pushing against a small opening oh, and yeah, stuff like all, that. Oh, yeah, no, there's all that, yeah. But that's just the pub landlord's monstrous sexual frustration, you know. <laughs> And, you know, get her in the tent. Now, actually, you know what, mate? You're better off if I do the routine I've written. You know, mm. that's, what you, that's immediately what you think. And when people butt in, because there's another thing I do, that long, there's the long thing about what to tell your children. Yeah. And, uh, and when I first started doing it, I took ages, really a long time over it, and people would, would try and guess the punchline. And, and I've had to tighten that up since and deliver it much more energetically and shorter because people were popping in and trying to guess the punchline. And i tell you what, my punchline is the best punchline for that routine. Sure. <laughs> I, I wrote it, and in fact, I reverse-engineered the whole routine from that saying the punchline. So, you know, bloke at the back, do one. You don't know what, what, how this ends, and that's why you're over there. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm on here, you know, and you sure. start feeling like that, and that's terrible. That, then you're not playing anymore. Again, it's not, that's not play. That's someone being a doofus. So how do, you, do you have any particular strategies that you use on stage to stop you getting annoyed and consequently losing the play? Yeah. Yeah, which are just to, just to um, you know, take a powder with it. Um, you know, just to be calm... Uh, <laughs> no, to, no, seriously, to, to, to keep your thoughts level. I mean, I've, I've also got a couple of, a couple of sort of put-downy things but that, are, that are sort of, you know, um, which are kind of along the lines of, look, the difference between you and me, with all due respect, the difference between you and me is I know what I'm going to say next, you know, which as a thing to say to a heckler is pretty reliable because sure. they don't. And they don't yeah. even know what they're going to say next. So, you know, sometimes I think you have to, Sometimes what you have to do is sort of say that. Say, come on, you know, it's better mm. this way than your way. It's almost like you're, you're still in character, but part of you is kind of waving a little flag going, just remember that this is... That yeah, this yeah, is yeah, yeah. I mean, the one, one I used... To, I mean, there was a bloke the other night, um, a, a late thing I did, who's, who was heckling. And, uh, I mean, I used to have an old co comeback that I've done in a long time, which is, you know, this is an act, mate, that's your life. Mm -hmm. when, they're, when, they're, when they're being particularly stupid. Yeah. <laughs> you know, which, which kind of makes the point. I mean, I don't like saying it's an act. It's much better if, if I don't. Sure. Uh, but, but, but that, again, that's, that's us all playing together. So this is the fantastic Al Murray. All I'm going to say about this interview is that the bit you've just heard a moment ago where I tried to, to say something waffly about the human condition, I didn't really make my point, which is a point I have enormous difficulty in articulating. But it's something essential about the whole point of performing for me. This is what, what got me hooked on the street stuff 15 years ago or more, um, which is that the whole point of a performance, certainly a comic performance, is it's a shared game that we're all making up together. And... I'm about to go off on one now, so I'm, got, I'm going to nip that in the bud. In fact, I wrote a dissertation on this uh, in whenever I graduated in 2000 or something. Um, so I'll look that out and, I don't know, you can win a copy or something. <laughs> or maybe you can win the right not to have to read it, something like that. 
anyway. More great stuff from Al Murray coming up in just a second. Uh, I just wanted to read a couple of emails here. This is from Andrew Sumpton. Um, he says, I've actually, he says, we love the show, etc. Um, I've actually been very sad, uh, sad enough to listen to Pretty Much, I'll start that again. Sorry, Andrew. I've actually been sad enough to re-listen to pretty much all of the episodes a second time is on first listen. I wasn't always giving it my full attention, uh, which I think is a great idea. That's brilliant. Thanks, Andrew. Um, and he says he also, he, he, he makes more of an effort to find videos of the comedians he didn't know, which definitely added something to those particular talks. I think that's a good point. I, I would say one or two of you email me most weeks and say, come on, put some videos on there. But I, is that a sensible use of time I could be better spending writing jokes, you know, for my career? I don't know. I, I really think um, that you should, if you see that one's come out and you don't know who the person is, it's got to be worth you Googling five minutes of their stand-up. Surely, surely you'd get so much more out of it. So, um, uh, yeah, so that's good. Arguably, <laughs> I could spend five minutes and do it all for you, but I'm not going to do that at the moment because I'm busy. Another email from uh, Kirsty. Uh, just have her first name. Thank you for emailing Kirsty. She says, I'm a big fan of ComComPod and loved Princess Uncle Stew, which is my own stand-up comedy album. You can download that free if you're on the mailing list, if you go to my website, uh, comedianscomedian.com uh, follow the links there join the mailing list and, and you can get your free copy of my album she said I wonder if you have any other albums than Princess Uncle Stew available for purchase or whether you're planning to release any and I am the, well, the, the thing is I'm writing a new show at the moment so uh, I'm writing a new show for Edinburgh and when that show is finished and complete I may well record it and make it available in, in some sort of form um, so thanks for the inquiry uh, that's where we stand at the moment um, I don't have any other stuff to sell you I'm sort of trying to give it all away at the moment um, she says these are her words I'm quoting free downloads are good too but I'd like the opportunity to sling you some cash for the endless hours of entertainment you provide that make being a desk jockey that little bit more bearable now this it, thank you Kirsty this is a genuine email from someone <laughs> someone who isn't my mum uh, in, under a false name and it's very timely too if you've heard the most recent show you'll know there is now a donate button on the website website comedianscomedian.com and if you find that I'm making your life more bearable or heaven forbid your career more invigorating then feel free to say thank you with a donation thank you so much from me to everyone who's done this already uh, over the last fortnight um, but uh, if you'd like to if you'd like to donate you certainly can uh, remember the special rate for performers still applies imagine in your head work out what the show is worth to you and then double that amount couple of plugs before we get back into Al. Uh, on Wednesday, the 18th of December, coming up uh, at the Pleasance in London, I am sharing a doubleheader preview with the wonderful James Acaster, who you'll remember from a, a previous episode. James and I are both going to do an hour of new stuff um, before we then bugger off for Christmas. And then uh, we're both going to be at the New Zealand Comedy Festival again in May. So I'm really looking forward to that. Um, but that's a very sort of initial preview new stuff off notes, I'm sure, um, at the Pleasance London on Wednesday, the 18th of December. So Google up some tickets for that. Uh, and finally, a date for your diaries next year if you're in the Midlands. The Leicester Comedy Festival uh, happens uh, over the middle of February 2014 on the 16th. Excuse the noise of building work in the background. I don't know if you can hear that. It's been doing my head in all morning. Um, uh, Leicester Comedy Festival, the 16th of February 2014. Uh, I'm doing a ComCom at five o'clock with Jared Christmas and a solo show, work in progress. So if you can't make the December one, come and see it when it's two months readier in Leicester. So thank you very much for listening to all of that guff. Uh, email me whenever you like, info at comedianscomedian.com. Tweet me at ComComPod. And now let's get stuck back into the brilliant Al Murray. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. So some of the stuff, talk about the material for a minute. Some of yeah. your, your stuff, like your, your material about this is the worst government ever. Yeah. In which you say this is the worst government ever and you get everyone to cheer and go, yeah, this is the worst government ever. Yeah. And then you go back and go, well, because of course the previous government and you pick up all the yeah. failings of that one, that was the worst government. And you go back and you go back and you yeah. go back and you go back. That obviously belies, I mean, you've got a, an MA in modern history. Well, yeah. You know your onions. Uh, yeah, I, yeah. But um, I also have a, an internet connection in Wikipedia. Sure. So... Uh, <laughs> Sure, I'm not suggesting you wrote that bit just for, you know... Well, no, I do know the government's backwards to, uh, to 1937, don't you? <laughs> nope. Um, no, that piece of material, um, I, I, I've, I've actually stopped doing it because um, uh, I did it one night... <laughs> it is li li like he says it, and it's like, a, it's like a rant all the way back to Churchill, and it's like listing off every government from now backwards, uh, all their howlers, and they've all made enough that you could compellingly make a case that they were the worst mm -hmm. government ever. Um, uh, and I did it one night, I, th I can't remember, in Stoke or somewhere, and I, and I really went for it, and I s actually saw stars. And I thought, <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe we need to rest this piece of material. Because you were becoming <laughs> so was, involved was, in was, it. Yeah, because to do it properly, it's got to, it's got to be like a, like a, like a steamroller, like, 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 well, well, not a steamroller, like an express train. It's got, yeah. You've got to belt through all of it. And... Uh, or it doesn't quite grip. And um, also because they get, they reach the point where no one knows, no, no one, I mean, my girlfriend keeps trying to, um, she, she's seen the show a lot and she keeps going, right, so it was Thatcher. Then it was Wilson. I'm like, no, it's Callahan. Right? So, oh, yes, of course, it was Thatcher. <laughs> okay. It was Heath. No, 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 you know, and people don't know it. Um, and and, 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 and I, I put myself into it too much one night and, uh, and had to stop. But that routine comes from, I mean, if you want to talk about, the, the like what inspires the bits mm -hmm. and pieces that routine comes from i'm 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 so sick of our current news culture which works on superlatives uh, so things are the worst decision ever made the worst week ever the worst government ever you know uh, uh, endlessly and and our relentlessly tribal politics where things are completely black and white when everyone with half a brain knows the world is a nuanced and complex place where single single descriptions of things simply will never do them justice, right? So to call a government the worst government ever um, is stupid. It's just stupid. So uh, so what I thought I'd do is I'd do a thing where they're all the worst government ever because they are all the worst government ever and they're all the best government ever, whatever, you know. If we're going to talk about it like that, and I think getting the pub landlord to say stupid things 
in a sort of extreme way makes the point quite well. Sure. So, so with that in mind, is that material which has that kind of subtext, or you know, yeah. it, it, how sub it is depends on the intelligence yeah. or, the, or the sophistication yeah. maybe yeah. Of, the, of, the, of the the audience member. Um, do did you start? Is that a more recent thing for you? It seems to me, based on that and your stuff about the euro, kind yeah. of you know, exploring that, it seems like that there is more. Uh, political thought I mean I don't know if satire is the right word but there's more like you're, you're making a point or starting from a point well, than when I saw you in the cabaret bar well yes and no, yeah yes and no um, uh, I think what, what I thought I, I think what it is this year is it's, it's nearer the surface than it usually was okay. um, uh, it's often been, it's always been in there but this year it's nearer the surface but what I do when I write a new th- touring show is I sit down and go right what's this year's emphasis and there was a show three or four years ago, or no, six years ago, where I decided it was, he was going to be like trying to be philosophical and okay. ask, what's it all about, right? Um, you know, <laughs> complete fool's errand, but it was, that was the tone of that show. Sure. And the, the last two or three shows, I've really, I've really gone for this idea that the pub landlord is aware of his uh, fame, so he's taking, his ch- he's taking his chances to try and save the country because the politicians can't do it. Okay. But that's also because I think politicians now tend to be PR men who've never done a day's work in their life sort of people, like your dad will say. Sure. Um, so who are they to tell us how to live our lives? Sure. And also, I find it funny when comics offer political solutions because they're comedians. Uh, <clears throat> okay. So now that you said something in, uh, earlier this year which is sort of arguably yeah. contentious about... Um, about uh, I thought it was not I actually thought it was not at all contentious okay and um, self-evidently sensible which is that if comics um, if you want to take if your job is to take the piss if your job is to uh, and I don't actually think I think it's a semantic difference taking the piss and satirising mm-hmm. they're the same thing just one of them has a degree mm-hmm. right <laughs> The, the, uh, and I have a degree, and I'm quite happy to make that distinction. I, I, I you know, it's a, taking the piss, taking the Mickey, you know, taking the rise out of things, all, all those, all those things, they're, they're, and satire. They're all the same. And um, if your job is to do that, if you've taken sides politically, you can't do your job as well as you could. Okay. If you've, if you've at some point run your red flag up the mast or your blue flag up the mast or your whatever, you can't. You then can't take the piss out of everyone as effectively as you, you as you could. And that's all I meant. That then got turned into. Yeah. He's trying to hide his politics. Well, I'm sure. not trying to hide my. In fact, I, well, yes, I am trying to hide my politics so I can do my job better. Sure. Right. And if if we keep being told comedy's job is to shine truth to one of comedy's jobs is to shine truth to you know tell truth to power. Yeah. Well, if you've taken sides, you're not doing that anymore. You know, it, uh, and I didn't. I was amazed that anyone could find any element of contentiousness in what I said at all. Mm-hmm. I thought it was perfectly sensible. And and one of our problems is that that the idea of satire has got tangled up with being leftish, right? And I, I've got no problem with people being leftish, but satire is then screwed if it's got to take the piss out of the left. Sure. You can't do it if you're left. You, you can't do it anymore, you know, or not effectively enough, or you'll pull your punches or something. And that, that's all I was trying to say. But of course, you know. Um, What's wonderful is we live in an era where your quotes can be um, lifted completely, stripped of their context and represented as though you're a complete twat. <laughs> so what's your view? It's a view? lot of fun. 
What's your view of comics who do have uh, a political slant or have made clear that, you know, well, someone no, like Jeremy I'm just saying, say. well, well, I think Jeremy's absolutely brilliant what he does. I mean, this is the problem. Is I'm not saying that no one should do it, but it's just it, for me to be able to do what I do properly, I've sure. got to be able to go on stage and be rude about Ed Miliband mm-hmm. and David Cameron. Mm-hmm. And, and, and not just every time the Tories come up, go, you yeah, bloody push evil Tory scum. And that's partly what that worst government ever routine is also sure. about. Sure. It's, you know, I do the Cameron bit where I go, yeah, you know, Tory toffs in bed with the Lib Dems, headless chick, kick, chicken coalition. Well, you know, and then, and then Gordon Brown, yeah, bloody left. You know, because, because then you could take the piss out of everyone, which I think is really important. Sure. Going back to that, that bit of material about the worst government yeah. ever, all the piece about the, the Euro. Yeah, yeah. Is, that, is the fact that the, the political stuff or the satirical stuff or whatever yeah. is a bit closer to the surface, as you were saying, is that in any way a reaction or, or, or to do with your sense of responsibility that people are listening to you? Because I know, I know a criticism that's often yeah. been levelled at you is that your yeah. audience, uh, some of your audience yeah. might take what you're doing on face value. Yeah. You do a joke about the French, they go, Wee! and we yeah. don't quite know the way they're yeah. saying that. But that's hilarious. What idiots. How fantastic. I've got their money. It's a cosmic prank. Right? I've never understood that as a criticism. I simply do not understand that as a criticism. For two reasons. First of all, I'm never ever going to tell anyone what they should think. Right? I'll argue with them, but it's up to them what they think. They can make their own decisions. Sure. And if they want to go, oh, the French, yeah, fuck them like that, because I've made a joke like, you know, the French have got a town called Brest and none of them thinks that that's funny. Mm-hmm. Right? Which is puerile and ridiculous. Mm-hmm. If they think they're agreeing with that, Whoop! I've got their money, and I've proved they're an idiot. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't really understand how that has turned into. Well, you shouldn't be doing what you're doing. Sure. Um, it, 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 it genuinely astonishes me that, that that anyone would have a problem with with that happening. Also, I think people should be allowed to laugh at whatever they want in any way they want. Mm-hmm. Right? I'm not really into th- sort of telling people what is their, their taste should be. I think that's that's a slippery bloody slope. On the show that I saw a couple of nights ago, you yeah. had a joke that was very pro-Polish. You had yeah. a joke about Polish builders and yeah. how efficient they were. And I wondered again if that's like, is, is that, you say you're astonished at that criticism and I'm not saying it's right or yeah. wrong, but if you, did it, did, it, did it have any impact on you that you thought, it would actually be good to present some positive no. stereotypes as well as the others? No, 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 I know, because, because it's a criticism I essentially um, have you know, no truck with. It, sure. it, it doesn't make any sense to me that that, would, that, that could be a problem, you know. Uh, I, I think so the joke about, a joke about, a positive joke about Polish builders is yeah. just because there's material there for and a joke. It usually gets a round of applause because actually people... Uh, I mean, the other thing is, I often think people are capable of... One thing that audiences are capable of doing is laughing at themselves. And, uh, you, you know, we, we, we keep telling ourselves that the British... Uh, uh, what's brilliant about us British is we're capable of laughing at ourselves. Okay. Maybe, right? Uh, and and uh, I'm not up on all languages and all cultures in the world to be able to confidently assert that we have the greatest sense of humour in the world, sure. the way people do all the time, yeah. right? But, but I don't know. I, I often find, you, you, you know, say I go to South End and what people might, some people, some people, and in fact, a lot of that, there's a lot of snobbery in that idea that the tattooed bloke is, is going, You've, you know, that... that well, is he not allowed to laugh at whatever he likes? I don't know. There's some there's, there's the twist of it in there, which I mm. again I I don't like. And um, in a South End audience, there's a lot of sort of you know sort of faintly redneck type people, as you sure. might see them, but they're laughing at themselves. 
uh, or they're laughing at the joke at face value or the joke on the next level and all that. And I've been to more of my shows than anyone else, mm. right? And I'm, and, I'm, and I'm confidently told what happens at my show by all sorts of people. And I, I know I've been to, you know, like I say, more of my shows than anybody else. And I know what's going on. And the, I get told this is what's happened, what's going on. And I don't see it. I mean, I, I, one, one piece which said, you know, there are really boorish people in my crowd. So what, right? And then he said, in this same review, he said, but they didn't really behave, but they really behaved themselves. Well, then they're not <laughs> boorish then, are they? You stop fucking looking for this yeah, supposed sure. problem. And I, you know, I, I, it, it, it vexes me, but I've never done anything, I've never, re, I've never reacted creatively to it. I just sort of think, you know, hmm. what is, what's your point, what's the actual point you're making? Look at the point you're trying to make, examine it. Is it valid? I don't think so. Or there's more t more going on than, uh, but then I think a lot of this. I, I have to say, I think the state of uh, comedy criticism is kind of all over the place anyway. So, um, mm -hmm. you know, you're not, you're, it's not reviewed in an arts capacity. It's reviewed as a, as, a, as a thing in itself, talking to itself. Comedy and comedy shouldn't be talking to itself. It should be talking to audiences. Sure. Okay, I've got I've got sort of two other key things I'd yeah. like to cover. We've not got a huge amount of time left. Well, I do waffle, uh, don't I? There yeah. will no, not at all. It's, it's great stuff. Um, but there will be an opportunity, maybe at the end, if there's time to ask a question. We won't have much time for you to think of them, so start thinking now, and I'll keep going. <laughs> That's just normally how it works. Something I wanted to ask was about your writing week. As someone who obviously yeah. writes hard, I think writes a, yeah. a huge amount of stuff. What is your? Do you get? Do you kind of go? Okay, this is this month. I'm going to write eight hours a day or what, what what does your writing week look like when you're writing right well well it's more actually um not so much a writing week as, as how, how a show preparation process mm -hmm. would be a better way of describing it and uh what what we do when, we put, when i'm putting a show together is I, li I live in chiswick in west island there's a pub there called the tabard which has like a 50 seat studio theater in it and what i do um or what i've done the last sort of five six years is i take out um uh, a month of Mondays, uh, uh, yeah, a month, uh, yeah, four Mondays on the trot, five Mondays on the trot at five o'clock. So early evening, because they, they've always got plays in there. So I'm on the set of the play. So it's the people who are there really want to be there. Mm -hmm. And it's only a fiver. So they've got no expectations and it's build as work in progress. I do a month of those, um, often with a list of ideas on the stool with a list of things and a list of things I must not do in the improvising that might be beats or circles that I've gone around too many times. Okay, so you so you're physically you've got a list on stage of like here's a subject. Yeah. Don't say this about it. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. And and I do a lot of don'ting when I'm writing. That's I've never heard anyone else say that. God, tell me tell me about that. Well, you've got to do don'ts. You've got to know what you're not going to do. You get, if you, um, uh, the I, I don't uh, you know, I can't remember which artist who said that the most important part part of a portrait is the frame, right? So. If once you know what your don'ts are, what, once you know the things you won't do, the lines you won't go over, once you, you know, don't say, Alan Corrin said to Giles Corrin, his son, he said, um, when you're writing, don't write the first thing you write because everyone would have thought of that. Don't write the second thing that, that, that I've thought that, um, because the clever bloke will have come up with mm -hmm. that. Write the third thing you think of. And I do it, th and that's a don't process. So if I'm writing about, uh, I mean, it, it, when I write, I, you know, if I'm writing about something like The X Factor, for instance, which is a big thing in this show, there's a load of don'ts not to talk about Simon Cowell's trousers, not to talk about and, uh, the, um, Louis Walsh, not to talk about any of those things. Because if you want to hear those things, go see someone else. But, but what I've got is a thing about kids and their dreams and, 
in, in a roundabout way. I mean, you've seen it, so you, you know. But but it's don'ts. And then I have a list uh, of gag trees. So I'll have – and you – I very often – start with the end so I know I'm going to finish a routine and I work backwards and then you can build digressions in and I, I actually have like trees subject punchline and all the all, and they're tabbed further back all the bits that are least necessary to the telling of the routine and uh, and sometimes they get excised and sometimes they get put back in and sometimes what happens is the middle bit expands out of all shape and proportion and becomes the bulk of the routine and then uh, uh, and then the end maybe gets moved and all that sort of thing. And I do that the four Mondays in a row. Then I do, and, and then I'll write all week off the back of that. So the, you know, notes straight after, then write all week. Then I do a week at five o'clock, Monday through to Friday. And by the end of the week, hopefully I have a show. Okay. How, so how long does that hold? That, that six, six weeks? Week was six weeks. Sometimes I do eight weeks of it. Sometimes I'll do, sometimes what I do is do that for five weeks, do, do the Mondays and then a week, and then do the Mondays in the week again and come back to it. Depends how busy I am with other stuff as well. Okay. And is this always a process that you're doing on your own? Do you work with kind of um, well other I, writers? Well, I, the, I, I've tried, I've worked with other writers a lot on, on the stuff I've done on TV, but for stand-up, it's a, I found it to be a, just a waste of time. Um, uh, not because the people I've worked with have been no good or because they haven't been brilliant or because they didn't pick the right people. It's just simpler for me to sit down and do it. <laughs> and I, I have this, I don't know if you have this, I have this thing, once I've written it down in pen, it goes in harder than when I've typed it. So what I often do is I sit down with a list and I write the list over and over again and it, and it goes in with the subject. And then, then I do a thing I call crunching where the list then turns into headings and then the headings go in on the dressing room mirror in post-it notes so that you can move the structure and the order of the show around mm. any way you like. And, uh, and then, and then I come, when I come off in the interval, I take off all the ones I did. You see what you've forgotten. And usually you forget stuff because it doesn't work. Okay. Or because it doesn't fit. Okay. And then, uh, and so I, I'm, you know, now you, I take a picture on the phone of the post-it notes so I can get the show order down in the morning, sit down and write that back up. Sure. Rewrite, 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 rewrite. And I've got a file, I've got a file from every year I've been doing the pub land called year one, year two, year, all the way through. And when I'm really, when it's not quite clicking the writing, I'll go back and read all the old files. And there's been plenty of stuff which has been, which I've written, like when you're just writing speculatively, not with a deadline, when you're just writing any old crap. I've gone back, hang on a minute, there's a bit in the middle there, and if I take that out, maybe mm. we can have a look at that again. And, 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 and I've found the better I've got at doing it, the easier I find putting ideas across. So when you're on stage with that, with that list in front of you, of, here's yeah. a topic, don't, don't say this, you're, are you improvising around those subjects? Yeah. In character? Yeah. Obviously in character. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, so you're and then you're recording that I don't record I never record it okay. never record it no it's but always, you go notes I always find my yeah notes, notes immediately afterwards sometimes I get a friend in to, to, to log what I've said but I've never needed I, I, I can't bear the sound of my own voice mm. um, that's probably not apparent but, <laughs> um, um, I can't stand it so the thing I like so the thing I do is I, I'm very good at remembering it all and I also think the process of memory is, is, re, is much more useful than of reproduction because you remember the things that work and the reason the reason you remember them is because they work you know you, mm. you know what I mean and, and sometimes you write a joke and you think I've got to do that one that, that's really great and you never remember you never quite put it in you never quite find a place for it and the reason is because in somewhere in there you know that joke's not right now's not the time for it okay okay we really we're really very going to have there's loads more i want to talk sorry. about no not at all not at all um uh are you where you want to be with <laughs> with comedy um well you turn the tv on and you think what's that fool doing on the television 
so no. But also, um, uh, um, I really love what I do, and it's it's a uh, you know got to the position where I uh, I lead an essentially charmed life. I think um, you know I you you get to a certain level of uh, I, I prefer the word notoriety, and you know I'm going I'm going to the second day of the test match at the Oval on. On Tuesday, on Thursday, I've been invited by the England cricket team. So you get things like that, and you think, well, you know, that kind of stuff. So I, yeah, I am in that respect. But then you, one of the things that drives you, one of the things I used to do was read Time Out back in the day with a listing, and you'd, I'd read it and go, why the fuck's he headlining there? And, and use that to stoke myself up, make myself, because I'm naturally lazy. Okay. Are you happy? Oh, no, of course not. I'm a sad clown who wants to commit suicide. <laughs> Are you happy though? Yeah, 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 yeah. In my work, definitely, yeah. But you okay. always, but you, always, you know, I, you always want interesting things to come along. That's one of the things you want. You want interesting stuff to happen, and it does. So you know, I want to write a music, a pub landlord musical for next year, uh, like a sort of uh, beggar's opera type thing, like a heavy-handed satire of Broken Britain, like five years too late. <laughs> <laughs> We've probably got time for one question if anyone has a burning uh, issue that they'd like to... Did you have a process of your writing voice and your performing voice coming together a la Steve Martin or that, did that all happen suddenly with the That's Landlord? an excellent question. Um, there were three years where basically um, I discovered the character, I hadn't quite got him right and the, my writing was, was weirdly sort of too ambitious and um, I was very concerned with uh, making sure everyone knew how clever I was um, with, the, with the sort of some of the storytelling and stuff. And then I had a sort of an epiphany where I realised I was just trying too hard and, uh, and I should, should chill out. And, um, and the fourth show I did in Edinburgh um, came through that process where they did both suddenly. It was just, it was really odd. They just were suddenly just the same. That, that, that they, they, you know, it's like an eclipse where suddenly the, <laughs> I was like the opposite of the eclipse, the light went out. Um, <laughs> uh, where suddenly they did coincide and they haven't really, dri they, they've drifted apart a couple of times since, but not very much. And yeah, so yeah, that did happen. And it's, when it does happen, it's such a relief. When, when are you going to tour Germany? in Germany? <laughs> um, when we can sort it out, because I really, really would, I really, really do want to go. So we went to, uh, Paris earlier this year uh, and it's just it's, I want to go Were you performing in French? I'm sure when I saw yeah, you yeah, in Nerebelle you were doing some, some gigs in, in French. French Yeah, yeah, yeah that was fun Yeah, well it's left of my O-level French and a, <laughs> and a dictionary app backstage to get the verbs <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen that's all we've got time for please thank Mr Al Murray <laughs> Thanks man Give us some thank so thank you to Al. What a rich conversation that was. What a what a fecund load of stuff. Fecund is a good word. If you're if you're not familiar with it, it means something positive. Uh, I mean, it sounds kind of quite insulting, doesn't it? But that was that conversation had lots and lots of roots and stuff to follow up on. We spoke afterwards, Al and I, about the possibility of doing a follow up interview. Hopefully, we can make that happen sometime in the future. Uh, if you'd like to hear one, do tweet me at comcompod. And if you'd like to thank Al or follow him on Twitter, he's at AJH Murray. The building work is getting too loud, and there's nothing I can do about it. I can't go over and shut them up while I record this, so I'm going to bugger off. 
Any emails, send them to me at info at comedianscomedian.com. And remember, do rate the show on iTunes if you haven't done so already. It's amazing what a difference just a few five-star ratings can make. And if you're online to do that, you can donate to the show as well at comedianscomedian.com. And then while you're online, go and look at oglaf.com, O-G-L-A-F.com. It's been making me laugh all week. It's a thoroughly pornographic, very, very funny story. comic strip uh, online oglaf.com have a look at that and that's that thank you very much I'll speak to you soon planning for your next trip elevate your travel style with Quince Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway like European linen premium luggage options buttery soft Italian leather bags and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.